two passages to begin our time together this evening. John 14, 15 and 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. Your presence here tonight is an encouragement to everyone else who is here. Your presence here says you want to learn more. Review what you've already learned. Be motivated and equipped to do better. Your presence here says to the Lord that you care about worshiping Him and that you really want to steadfastly maintain your relationship with Him. All of that is good and I appreciate each one of you. One of the most important pieces of Bible knowledge, Bible study skills, is making connections. Here's what I mean with two quick examples. Faith and obedience. James 2.26, faith without works is dead. So everywhere we go in the New Testament, we connect faith with obedience. Faith produces obedience. Christ and his church is another example. He is the head over all things to the church, Ephesians 1.22. And as we engaged in the study of Colossians chapter 2 in the adult Bible class this morning, Paul made a point of holding fast to the head. The members of the body must make certain that they maintain that connection with God through Christ, the head. And so, in all of my thinking, my Bible reading, and my responses to God, and my joint activity with other Christians, I must be certain that I make good connections. Faith is connected to obedience. Christ is connected to His church. He is the head of His church. A vital piece of our accumulation and use of Bible knowledge is making connections which are apparent to us on the pages of Scripture. That leads me to a corresponding inquiry for our time tonight. The question is, what makes obedience real? The point has already been made in my introduction that there's a connection between faith and obedience. Faith produces obedience. But now that leads to a further inquiry. What makes obedience real? We know that some activity that looks like obedience isn't. It might be true to say there is fake obedience. I knew a man many years ago, not here in Texas, who was a local preacher for a number of years. And it came to light in the course of his conduct that he had been living another life altogether and eventually left his family, quit preaching, obviously left the Lord if he'd ever been there and yet he continued for a few months to receive money from supporting churches and when all of this came out and he was called to account he said this he said none of this ever meant anything to me see when I said was he with the Lord ever at all he admitted 
He said, none of this ever meant anything to me. I didn't believe all this. It was nothing but going through the motions to please people. See, his obedience wasn't real by his own admission. But for many people over many years, there was an appearance of obedience. And there are other cases that you may be aware of that are less dramatic. So the question is worth our time. What makes obedience real? And here's where I bring in those two passages. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5 and verse 3, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So, here's the answer to our question. What makes obedience real? We know that faith produces obedience, but what else is involved in that? What makes obedience real? And what makes obedience long-term in your life? And the answer is loving God. God. But I think you know that we're not going to stand and sing yet. Let's talk about this further. Obedience must never be seen as some isolated item on a list. Remember, connections. Obedience is produced by faith. The continuation of obedience is dependent not only on faith, but on our love for God who loved us first. Love-inspired obedience is real. It is authentic. It has roots inside of you. It is pleasing to God. It is useful in all of your life relationships. And love-inspired obedience will sustain you through the storms and trials of life. Obedience that's not rooted in love for God will not see you through the difficulties of life, but love-inspired obedience will sustain you and strengthen you and uphold you in the storms and trials of life. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. So, will you give me a few minutes this evening to work on that? And I'm going to take us to Galatians chapter 5, if you want to meet me there here in just a moment. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to talk about what makes obedience real. And you already know that the greater answer is love-inspired obedience. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Now, let's deal with that in some specific ways. Love-inspired obedience is the soil, the fruit of the Spirit grows out of. You're familiar with the text. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This fruit doesn't just appear in your life in full measure because you were baptized. 
You don't come out of the baptistry with fully grown fruit as it is described in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Hopefully when you come out of the baptistry, there is intention to grow this kind of garden in your life, but it's not there suddenly just because you were baptized. There is no promise that the Holy Spirit just packs all this fruit into your life without you being receptive or responsive. See, the Holy Spirit gives motivation and instruction in the written word. And as we receive what the Spirit has revealed, love for God produces obedience that grows this kind of garden in your life. And I want to stress that this is garden imagery in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Garden imagery. Have you ever put a garden out or worked a plot of ground? You can't do it in the living room in the recliner. You can't do it on the golf course. I read the other day somebody in one of the universities somewhere is studying how with computers a digital garden could be grown. I mean with wires and everything in your backyard and the seed goes in and you just sit there on your iPad in your living room and you just work your garden. You know I'd be afraid somebody would hack into my broccoli and put tomatoes there. But I don't think that's going to work. I don't, I don't think computers are the answer to everything. If you're going to put out a garden, you're going to have to be in that garden. And it's going to involve work. You're going to have to have good soil and water and removing weeds and protecting the plants and pruning and harvesting. That's the imagery in Galatians 5. And it is strongly filled with activity. With work. Dirty hands. Attention that is consistent in order to have a good harvest. Love inspired obedience is the soil the fruit of the Spirit grows out of. Nobody has this harvest without effort. Nobody can grow this kind of garden without loving God and keeping His commandments. By grace, God gives us this opportunity. We are receptive of that opportunity to grow this garden. When we're baptized into Christ, we've agreed to it. We have intention about it. Then we have to get to work. No retirement. You'll have to get to work and stay at work in that garden in your life until you die. Without this... We are just an empty plot of ground with nothing to show. Love-inspired obedience is the soil, the fruit of the Spirit grows out of. Can I take you to Hebrews 12? Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 for the next point. Love-inspired obedience holds God in the highest esteem. Holds God in the highest esteem. In my introduction, I mentioned how things are connected in Scripture. Would you listen, please, for connections here? 
This is Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Loving God and obedience that comes from that love will always connect you with reverence. It will always include and involve reverence for God. Holding Him in the highest esteem. Seriously regarding Him who is the Almighty Creator. Love-inspired obedience always holds God in the highest esteem. I want to talk to you about one thing about that. I could talk about a dozen things about it, but I want to talk about one thing concerning reverence for God that I think is current. There are language habits and trends in our society that need to be checked and not heard among God's people. Every day <coughs> on social media, I see the initials O-M-G. And that stands for Oh My God. But it's not used in a prayerful way at all. Not even talking about the things of God. Just a habitual expression to show surprise or excitement. The names God and Lord and Jesus were never intended for trivial use as a byword. And those irreverent habits need to be checked and not heard among God's people. We don't want to foster that attitude about God. I understand how habits can form over time, but I also understand the need to check and monitor your habits in thought and in conduct and in speech and in what you type and post. It is our obligation as God's people to review our words all the time and review our thoughts based on the Word of God and our respect for it and for the author of the Word and make certain God is not disrespected. Love-inspired obedience holds God in the highest esteem. And if you need a word to express surprise or excitement, may I tell you that the English language is rich with legitimate terminology. I'm surprised. See, you've done nothing there with the name of the Lord. That is great. You've not irreverenced God in that expression. Or what a strange thing. The English language is rich with terminology we can use in this regard to express excitement or surprise. We don't need to borrow the names of deity for such purposes. Love-inspired obedience will not do it. And we'll check it if it's being done and rid ourselves of it, taking us to reverence 
and fear of our God. Romans 13, 8. Love-inspired obedience seeks and nurtures fellowship with others who are obedient. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. There is a lot of talk in our economy of being debt-free. Maybe there needs to be more talk about that. Paying what you owe and paying it before it all piles up and strangles your budget. It is great to be debt-free, to pay off those credit card balances and get your car and house paid for. That's certainly a worthy goal about our earthly affairs and responsibility to God. But Paul says, there is a debt you will never pay off. Even if you owe nobody anything in cash, there is a debt of love owed. This says love each other. I want to recommend an exercise you can engage in, and most of you in a Sunday night venue know about this. In your computer Bible concordance program, your computer software you used to study the Bible, or in the old concordance that people used to have on the shelf, look up this phrase, one another, and have pencil and paper there and just start making a list of how many times in the New Testament that comes up, one another. And let me give you maybe nine or ten quickly. Not going to be here long enough to expand on all of them. But let me give you a few of them just quickly. One another passages, preachers sometimes call them. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. That's in Galatians 5. Don't challenge or envy one another, Galatians 5.26. Patiently tolerate one another, Ephesians 4 and verse 2. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against each other. Well, maybe that's 11 or 12. There's more. Just engage in that study. Love inspired Obedience seeks and nurtures fellowship with others who are obedient to God. We are family. And that connects to what I was preaching for us this morning. Revelation 21 will be the last place we'll stop in this study. Revelation chapter 21. Love-inspired obedience prepares us for heaven. Listen to just some of this that you'll discover in the final chapters of the New Testament. Revelation 21, 1 through 5 will generate thoughts of all this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Rejoicing, singing songs of victory, celebrating newness, being in the very presence of God and His glory. No more night, no more tears, no more pain. I tell you, fake obedience will not get you ready for all this. Obedience that just lies at the service, uh, at, the, at the surface, as a matter of routine, going through the motions will not prepare us for singing and worship in heaven. You can't live a half-hearted, casual Christianity that is occasional and shallow here on earth and expect to make a smooth transition into a place like John describes. Heaven, the Bible says, is a place of beauty and fellowship and rest and reward and worship. What prepares us for that? Love-inspired obedience here. I don't know how I would even enjoy heaven or even be attracted to it if I shunned the presence of God in my life while I'm here. Love-inspired obedience prepares us for our heavenly home. Well, let's go back where we started, please. You remember John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I need to take the time to examine what we've studied tonight in my life. Not just the definition of the word obedience or the definition of all of those words in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 and maybe even memorizing all that, knowing the Greek background. But specifically, how does my garden grow and how does this play out in my life day by day? In detail, in specifics, in balance, in truth. Is my obedience love inspired? If I really love God, obedience will be my purpose. Not just so I can claim that I'm obedient and stay out of trouble. But because God is respected. Christ is honored. And what the Holy Spirit gave grows in the soil of my heart and I'm getting ready to go to heaven.